All right, welcome to the Luma Roundtable, a podcast where we usually pick one album to focus on for the month and come together to discuss it as a group. Um, today we have Nikki and Brady on with us, as well as my co-host Henry. Um, the episode is going to be a bit different this time because we'll be discussing multiple albums instead of just one. Um, from Portugal, the man. We've got an album lineup, and we'll just be kind of going through in chronological order from Censored Colors in 2008 to Satanic Satanist in 2009, In the Mountain in the Cloud from 2011, and then Woodstock in 2017. And we might mention some others, some other albums and other, you know, things along the way, but th those are just the ones that um, each person picked to talk about. So really, as stuff comes up that's relevant, you know, feel free to mention it. So we're not really too strict on formatting here. Um, so a little bit about Portugal the Man as a band. They're from Alaska originally, but are currently based in Portland, Oregon. Um, two of the members... John Gorley and Zach Carruthers met and started playing music together in high school, and they formed an emo band called Anatomy of a Ghost, which was their first introduction to like touring and live performances, um, and their first like album on Fearless Records was with that band, but then the band shortly broke up in 2004, and they went on to form Portugal the Man. Um, so that's that's all I really have for like background on the band. I didn't go too deep in anything because I don't know, I figured we'd we talk about anything else that um, was important to it. But OK, so Censored Colors is first up. This is their 2008 album. And Brady picked this one. So Brady, do you want to tell us a little bit about why you picked it? Is there any personal significance to this album for you? Uh, so perhaps you could say that um so i picked this because it was decided that we would talk about portugal the man today and it just so happens that censored colors by portugal the man is uh my favorite album of all time i uh i'd go so far to call this one um i don't know if uh, this is going to be controversial i hope it's not because i feel strongly about it but i've heard it stated before that say like um about pink floyd so I i've heard the opinion that uh animals is the pink floyd fans favorite pink floyd album i'd go on to say censored colors is portugal demands animals it should be stated that Brady is our resident Portugal the Man expert or like biggest fan that we have. I think I probably started listening to them because Brady thought said they were cool or good at like KURE or something. I don't really remember, but I just think shortly after meeting Brady or knowing him, it was like known that like Portugal the Man is like his favorite band. And that's a huge part of um of your music taste so it is indeed no small part um i you know it's it's a little hard to say if i would still hold the title today but 
uh, for a long period of time, I considered myself at a minimum the Midwest's resident Portugal, the man super fan. Um, I could still be there. You did buy Portugal, the man um, crypto coin. So I think <laughs> that's that true. You up I'm in, I've been in Discord calls with them. Yeah. I've been in Zoom with them. <laughs> that's amazing. I didn't know they had a cryptocurrency. That's so funny. I have like 10 PTM coin. What does that yeah. mean? I don't, I couldn't really tell you, but I don't, I don't know. You know, I thought I'd see what happens with it. I don't think many people can say they did that. No, I think that that might put you, put you up there for biggest fan for Portugal man. Yeah. And you're still technically, is Wisconsin still the Midwest? Oh, it sure is. Okay. You're still technically in the Midwest. You bet your bottom dollar it is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about how you came across Portugal Man? Like how you first heard about them? Yeah, so them as a band is because that could be important. Despite me believing that I am the biggest fan of this band within like seven or eight different states in the U.S., uh, I didn't actually hear about them until after Evil Friends came out. Um, I didn't know they existed. They uh, so it was a pool party at a friend's place one time, and a couple of my friends were just getting into them, and they put on various songs from like Evil Friends and In the Mountain in the Cloud, and I liked it enough that I went back and and started looking them up on YouTube later, and this is where I, I got real adventurous. I started liking it so much that. I uh, I sailed the high seas for some of their music, and because I can't read, uh, it turned out that my plunder was all of their albums except for those two, In the Mountain, In the Cloud, and Evil Friends. So instead of going back and doing a better job, I just accepted my failure and spent a lot of time listening to all their old stuff. What do you, wait, what? <laughs> sailed the high seas? Yarhar. <laughs> you ever been to Pirate Bay, Karina? <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, Karina, you haven't been to Pirate Bay. <laughs> I'm so lost. I'm sorry. That's so funny. Um, wow, that is actually really surprising. That okay, that makes me feel better because. I didn't hear about them until after Evil Friends came out too. <laughs> so I'm like, sweet. Yeah, actually working backwards through their discography and just like sort of listening to stuff here and there and sort of uh, just seeing that I have like seven albums in front of me and a willingness to look them up on YouTube because that's how I listened to music back then. That was actually what uh, uh, getting into this band is what got me into music for real. Um. Like, I always thought that I was into music, but really, I just, like, listened to, to like, radio hits mm -hmm. on my iPod and yeah. put them on shuffle sometimes to get real wild. But, like, these guys were what seeded me, like, actually jumping into indie music and coming to recognize that there are things out there that weren't playing on, like, Laser 103.3 and The Bus. Yeah that's that's huge that's such an important like 
don't know, like the founding band of your interest in, in indie music. I think, I don't know what band that would be for me. I, would, I think I'd have to really think about that, but that's, that's huge. I know that we started talking about this, about me specifically trying to aim at censored colors, but I guess that's a piece of context for where I'm coming from with picking this album because um, I think that their music is shockingly diverse um, for how much they put out in such short succession, approximately an album a year for the while and for a while, and they were pretty much never uh, similar to one another, yet still somehow felt like it was the same group of people making it. Mm-hmm. These people were were pretty much my Beatles. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, Brady, because they have like comparable eras, Portugal the Man and the Beatles. I like to hear where this where this line of conversation's going. Well, just that, you know, <clears throat> you can talk to a Beatles fan who is a fan of only the Beatles from a very specific era. You know, I only like the pop Beatles. I only like psychedelic Beatles. I only like George Harrison's solo stuff. Um, And with Portugal Demand, depending on like when you became a fan, maybe you're only like fucking with that stuff. And so I've just met a lot of Portugal Demand fans who are like, I'm only into the, in the mountain and the clouds era. Okay. Totally right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, it's also different. I mean, they, they went from, from uh, uh, post hardcore to, something southern cajun swampy to psychedelic to uh some some fairly radio friendly alternative pop rock to more psychedelic stuff again to mainstream pop rock again like yeah they've been freewheeling over time and i think they've also had crazy commercial success with like songs in the super bowl songs in television you know, songs and ads, things like that. Like, that's a shitload of money for Portugal Demand. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, especially with their most recent couple of albums. They really hit it big. Yeah. So with Censored Colors, um, we, I don't know, we just listed out, like, the same questions that we usually ask, but sort of going through them for each album. So you can kind of determine, like, you can kind of take this however you want to Brady like what in what order you want to answer these or how you want to talk about the album but we basically you kind of already answered like why you picked it how'd you come across it you were were you a fan of the artist before that piece you said you heard evil friends first um Mm -hmm. but do you remember what you thought going into this Centered Colors in particular, the first time you listened to it and how it was different um, then versus this time going into listening to it, like for this podcast? Yeah, so like this album in particular, it it's my favorite album ever. I think it's their best work and I wish they would do something like it again. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I also think it's probably their least digestible work. Um, going into it, me with, I think, five or six different albums in front of me, I really quickly uh, learned that no matter what I thought the band was doing, I was not going to be able to predict what one album was going to be 
just from hearing the others. So I guess as far as expectations go, I didn't really have any because I had no idea what what I could possibly think would come out of it. Like listening to Waiter, You Vultures and Church Mouth and Evil Friends. Like, how are you supposed to know what any album is going to be from these guys? So that's kind of what was going through my head, I think. Now, um, expectations are what I'm thinking about. These days when I listen to it or in, in preparation of this, I think about how sad I am that they don't do anything as dynamic or diverse as this anymore. Um, also thinking that almost 10 years of my life have been building up to this moment and I have no idea what I'm going to say when I'm on, on record. No pressure. <laughs> um, so yeah, to the point that I think it's probably their least digestible album, like mm -hmm. I, I was just getting into them when I first heard it and I didn't really stick to it it didn't stick with me very much I thought like lay me back down was a pretty cool opener I like how explosive the intro is and it falls into a sort of groove really quickly you want to snap along to it I think and I liked that but um and th there was also uh the song salt I thought was nice easy listening the guitar was kind of fun to follow along with um plus it's also one of the more straightforward songs on the album so that's pretty much all that stuck with me at first. Um, I guess I didn't, I didn't really fall in love with it until I'd already been a fan of them for a while. Do you have any, like, what are your favorite songs off of this album, would you say, and why? Um, so I mentioned Lay Me Back Down already. I, I think that's a strong opener. Um, I think it's a good intro to generally how dynamic the album as a whole is but uh songs in particular uh and i is going to be my favorite off of this uh i like how slowly it begins it sort of sort of swells over time building from uh going through oh god each time it goes through the chord progression starting from just the keyboard and nothing else it adds another layer on top until eventually you have this uh instrumental explosion guitar led and all sorts of swirling stringed instruments happening in the background it, there's lots of noises happening at the time after you spend a few minutes um listening to it build and then you get gang vocals for a few minutes and back and forth and back and forth gang vocals lots of instruments I'm falling apart as I'm trying to talk about this, but And I is my favorite. Okay. And then I think moving on, it's it's kind of hard to pick out a song and talk about it in the entire like back half of the album because it all sort of segues into each other. And I think that's by design. If memory serves, I think I read somewhere that, that I don't remember if this was a person talking about the album or if it was actually a member of the band describing how they felt about it but it's basically like their abbey road in that the first half of the album the a side is a bunch of songs and then the b side is one really long song with some fairly distinct points in it so it's a little difficult to pick out a single track 
in that way. But I think 1989 into our way are a phenomenal close to the album sort of coming out of silence and similar to the sort of line of thinking had about and I about it building up a layer at a time till an explosion. I really like that this is fairly soft until eventually you have some sort of anthemic vocals closing out the album while instruments are doing a whole mess of things barely held together at the end. But there's a chant going on, so you want to just throw your fist up with it. Did they start on this album that um, signature Portugal the Man thing of like, you feel like the whole band is not shouting at you, but like, you feel like they're all singing at once or like there's a whole crowd singing? Because I feel like that's something that they do a lot. They love their gang vocals and I am here for it. They do love their gang vocals. Um, What about lines, lyrics, anything on this album that you can pick out? I mean, honestly, I think this is a challenging band to talk about lyrics with. Yeah. I have a feeling that we're going to be in agreement on that as we move through more albums. Um, Because it's so often so cryptic, it can be difficult to glean whether there is meaning underneath it or if he's just saying words that sound kind of cool together like take uh, a line off of waiter you vultures for example lengths of snakes match each silent syllable with eyes like these what does that mean i don't know but no i walking back from that uh that point a little bit i think that more than a lot of their work censored colors more often has lyrics that are uh at least more clearly um, uh, motivated by an idea they're trying to express. So um, how blunt it is varies across the album, but you have the second song on the album, Colors, opening up with all the needy still need, and I know, and all the losers still lose, all the preachers still preach, and I know they ain't bringing no change, which is surprisingly blunt for a band that's usually steeped so heavily in metaphor um and i the following track talks about um let's see i'll bring up the exact lyrics uh the the very first verse the opening lines are some were reborn some were simply shaken free and some were the colors that took to the streets they found in those later years they knew what we need is love for each other and every living thing um it can be difficult, I think, to point at. Uh, let me let me think. I guess I should say that I didn't feel particularly like moved or affected by any any of the lyrics. Nothing like I read it. I'm like, oh my god, yeah. um, nothing of that sort. But it is all stuff, or maybe not all stuff, but frequently stuff that is. Um, vaguely political in nature that I think is frequently expressing ideas of protest and love and disagreeing with racism, which I think are good ideas. 
Definitely. Um, how would you describe the music just on censored colors? How would you describe um, music to someone who'd never heard like that album before? So I think this was when they were at their most psychedelic and progressive. It's kind of like a stew of psych and prog ideas with lots of instruments thrown in and a bit of classic rock flavor that still shines through a little bit from their church mouth days, I think. Because um, it's primarily like um, warbly guitars and vocals and occasional swells of stringed instruments like uh, violins. I think there's, according to the credits, I don't know where this is, but there is a sitar somewhere on the album. Um, things are frequently driven by keyboards and synths and lots of lots of warble sounds and occasionally explosive guitar lines. Very nice. That was a great description. Um, what other artists would you recommend to people based off of this album? I thought really hard about this and honestly, I don't know. It's okay. Like I have yet to find another album that hits me quite like this one does. Yeah. Um, Portugal the Man in general as a band, I think the closest I've come to finding someone similar to them at any point is probably going to be like Broken Bells or early TV on the radio. But this album in particular, like, I don't know. That's okay. Um, what about... Is there a situation you would recommend people listen to this album or like a mood you feel like it represents? Situation or mood. I think, I think your mood to listen to this album needs to be, uh, I'm a fan of Portugal, the man. Let's see what the serious fans are about. Love it. Okay. Anything else you, you want to say about the album? Any final thoughts or comments, things I didn't cover that you wanted to say? That's a good question. No, I don't think so. Okay. All right. Well, I'm sure this will not be the last that we hear from you throughout the episode, Brady, but thank you it's, for yeah. going over Censored Colors. Um, up next is Henry's pick, The Satanic Satanist from 2009. Um, Henry, you, you've seen the agenda, you know the question, so I'm just going to let you kind of take the reins here and however you want to go through this album, kind of feel free to um, do it your, at your own you know, discretion. For sure. Well, yeah, first, maybe I'll start off with some thoughts about Censored Colors, because Brady, I just love that you love that album as someone who's listened to Portugal the Man for a long time and seen their sound change, I get that the old stuff is not as palatable, which is kind of the point I think you were talking about. So I just want to recognize you, Brady, for taking that chance to explore. And look what you found, like one of the most impactful bands of your life, right? So that's what the album can offer you if you're listening. Just that's to start a much better that. point than I made <laughs> about what that album could be too. A perspective listener 
Yeah. And I think what you were getting at more early on is that like, it's a overlooked album and probably because people, when they put it on, they're like, whoa, this is like crazy to listen to. <laughs> like, it's just so much going on. And there's so many instruments and so many like changes and Brady, like you talk about the end of the album being this huge sort of like B-side. I totally feel you on that. And that's like a big bite to chew, um, which is the perfect segue to the Satanic Satanist, which I think is like the slightly more palatable version of Censored Colors. It's like that next step towards their huge commercial breakthrough. Um, and I think part of that was how they changed their sound, which I'll talk about in a bit. But um, much like Brady, I have an interesting, well, it's interesting to me, but I have a backstory with Portugal the Man which actually started with somebody showing me a music video in like 2007 and I hated them. I was like, oh, this is lame. Um, for anyone keeping track at home, it was the music video to AKA M80 The Wolf, which Brady you've seen, I'm sure Nikki and Karina, maybe you have seen at some point, but either way, I didn't like it. I thought they were lame. I was like super into Slipknot because I'm from Iowa and that's just how it is for like 14 year olds. Um, and then make a long story short, basically the cooler older brother of one of my buddies, I heard him listening to Portugal, the man. And then I decided like, yeah, they're pretty cool. Like I'm going to check them out now. <laughs> like all it took was just like one cool older person saying that they liked them for me to dive in. Um, and essentially the satanic Satanist was like the first new album that came out after I started listening to them a ton. And I took a bus all the way out to Best Buy in Sioux City, just so I could get this album. And the CD I got kind of had like one of those soft CD cases, but it's sort of unfolded with a bunch of art. And it's like this kind of watercolor art that's featured on the uh, cover of the album. And I think that was done by John Gourlay. Is that how you pronounced it, Karina? Maybe. I think that's how you would pronounce it. That's how I pronounce it, John Gourlay, but I'm not sure. That's right. Well, who knows, but uh, he's also like a really interesting visual artist. Um, so he did the art for this album. It's called The Satanic Satanist, but it's like psychedelic pop. Um, Brady talked a little bit about how that sounded on Censored Colors. And I think The Satanic Satanist is like a lot of what you heard there with like less instruments, a little more clear pop. Uh, inspiration to some of these songs, whereas I think there was more of a rock influence on Censored Colors. Um, and, you know, there's some kind of interesting lyrical themes on there as well. Um, so when I got the album as like a 14 year old, it was kind of a total package. It was like this cool band that I was really into that I saw somebody older was really into. So that felt validating. I bought it with my own money. It was a good album. So that felt validating. And it was just like a nice piece to have on my shelf because even years down the line, I would just open up this CD case just to look at the art. Um, so I thought it was a real standout album to me and then kind of tragic, but my stepdad who is super Christian saw the receipt and it said the satanic Satanist. And I bet you can see where this is going. He threw away that CD. <laughs> so <laughs> rip, but uh, basically ever since that time, you know, I was like, damn, what a special album, what a special band. And they've certainly changed a ton throughout the years, but I'm lucky that I got to see them 
if it wasn't for the Satanic Satanist tour, I think it was the American Ghetto tour, which was 2010, they were in Fargo. So I saw them in Fargo in 2010. And then like nine years later, me and Tara went to see them in Iowa City. And so it was like a huge, I don't know, just kind of like weird to think that far back into my life, how impactful this album was. And now to see where the band is, to see where I am, it's just like a weird time meter stick through which I've measured my life, Portugal the man. So anyway, I think I have like zero expectations going into it. So I ended up falling in love with basically every song. Um, I do also remember downloading the first single off the Portugal the man website, which I just wanted to mention because that feels very 2009. Like I don't, like when was the last time you guys downloaded a single MP3 off an artist's website that wasn't like Bandcamp or something, you know? So it just, it was such a novel time with like how music was delivered, how I would have acquired it, what I thought about it. Um, and, you know, I think it's a nice palatable Portugal the Man album. Um, you can kind of split the difference with people who are like really into the new stuff, like the evil friends and beyond. And then like sort of the era Brady's talking about, which is like, wait, are you vulture and censored colors? Um, and isn't there one in between there? Anybody got that pulled up? Brady? Church mouth. Church mouth. That's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Thanks, Brady. You got it. Um, so I think the satanic Satanist is this nice like in-between spot. So if you're like at a party and people, I don't know why you'd be at a party like this, but we have some maybe college radio listeners and people can't agree on what Portugal demand play. I would definitely recommend this record. Um, and if you're maybe just feeling more of that kind of like stripped down, not stripped down, that's definitely not the right way to put it. But if you're feeling more of that raw side that Censored Colors gave you with this album, they actually released an acoustic version of the record. So they did all the songs, but instead of like organs and synthesizers, they had like toy pianos. And Karina, you mentioned like the classic Portugal Demand, like all of them are singing type thing. That's a lot more present on the acoustic version of the record. Um, so, you know, you can kind of split your hairs and decide which version you like more. But <clears throat> I was pretty stoked they released the acoustic version as well, just because I think it, if you liked some of the songs but weren't feeling the original mix or the original feel of Satanic Satanist, this can feel like a, a more direct hit of the more folky side of what the album gave. Um, so yeah, huge vomit of thoughts there. I totally can relate now to Brady when he was going through it. It's a lot to just like get on the mic and talk. So that's what I've got. Oh, maybe a couple songs. Should I talk about songs? Um, I would maybe recommend if people are gonna like crack this record open, dive in with like this three piece of songs that are on the album called The Sun, the home in the woods. It feels like a kind of unofficial trio of songs, but I think it's just like a nice blend of what the album has to offer. And rather than talk about any of the serious lyrics, I knew since I was talking about this album, I had to talk about one line, which I've thought about for like a decade plus at this, at this point. This is from the song Guns and Dogs, which I think really harkens back to their like Alaska rural life. But the, uh, the line is, we got, got some guns, got some dogs, but just like them dogs, yeah, the guns get bigger. And that line always killed me because it felt not very Portugal to man, if I was being honest, but truly they are just some rural dudes 
And sometimes you just need that gun so you don't die to a moose, I guess. But anyways, so that's some songs. That's some genre talk, some memory talk. That's the satanic Satanist. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for going through that for us. Um, super cool origin story, kind of how you like found them and started listening to them. Pank, that was awesome. Yeah, if you guys ever like not liked a band until someone you thought was cool showed that they liked that band, and you were like, oh, now I'm about it. Oh yeah, Def- definitely, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Um, I uh, I know that this is the band that really got me into music because this was something that I started getting into fresh out of high school and going into college. And so stories like that always remind me that I just did not experience any sort of music phases growing up. So I can only assume it must be true that I was not actually into music until age 18 or 19. Yeah. I weep for your childhood, but at least you still got all that in during neuroplasticity. You know what I mean? At least you got to experience KRE and like that college music moment. That's super rich. Yeah, it was a real, real burst of activity for my mind at that time, but... We don't need to go down that road too much. Um, I actually, there's something you said in your description of satanic Satanists that I I wanted to uh, expand on or uh, give vocal snaps to. Um, calling a few of their songs an, a sort of unofficial trio is something that they do so, so much. And I love it. So you have those three songs. I'd also argue the first three songs on Satanic Satanist, people say work all day and lovers in love do the same thing. I think totally, dude. they actually like sort of crossfade into each other, like on the album. The uh, the first three songs on Censored Colors even do a similar thing. They don't necessarily string together, but to me, Lay Me Back Down into Colors into And I has always felt like there's a sort of flow there. And on their later albums, you have things that are that hit you over the head more with actually segueing, like uh, in the mountain in the cloud, you have everything you see into all your light. And evil friends, I think those first three songs also all fit together really cleanly. I guess all of this to say, I think that you're onto something by saying those three songs fit together nicely. Do you think that has to do with like kind of how they structure their live sets too? Like when we saw them in Woolies, that was the first time I'd seen them. And I was really surprised and happy to see like how they blended their songs together to, I guess, kind of create medleys of their own music. Um, I hadn't seen that in live shows very much, but is that kind of that live feel being put into an album, do you think? I think That's it's super maybe, interesting. That is a good point. Um, I mean, it kind of feels to me like maybe that's just their sort of approach to making music. Like, that's how it is on the record. That's how it is when they play it live. They're just constantly finding ways to make their music and sometimes even covers fit together. 
and Nikki, I think to your point, <clears throat> like the way they craft the albums, I think there's just enough connective tissue. So like when they play, they probably like, you know, they're looking at the connections in a way that I think lets them put the songs together. Cause I've definitely noticed that when they play live, they'll like throw a couple songs together in a medley. And I had that same thought of like, who's doing the medley thing besides the Carpenters and Portugal the Man, like <laughs> honestly. But um, those medleys are always like super good live. And I think, yeah, I think you're on to something that there's like connective tissue there that they're probably using to do all that. I love that way you phrased it, connective tissue. That's, I, I'm going to use that. That's really cool. Um, but yeah, I... I started recognizing stuff like that when my dad would play guitar in church, he would kind of take tidbits from one song and put it into another. And I think Portugal, the man kind of does that with covers in their own music. They'll kind of recognize patterns that they're making and just insert them where they can. And I think that just sort of helps them feel out their own music. Like you were saying, um, like that's how they contextualize their music. It really spoiled me getting into these guys and then going and seeing them play in Des Moines and having that be the concert that also made me love concerts because later I realized that not everybody does that and I was sad. <laughs> like your expectations were like set super high. I was absolutely blown away when I saw them live. Like their ability to transition from one song to the next or transition from the middle of one of their songs into another song and then back to the first song was incredible to see in action when when was that show when did you guys go see him so i was talking about a different show at woolies the one he's talking about i wanted to go to but i was too scared to drive on 235 so he's talking <laughs> about a different one That's yeah the concert in particular I'm talking about was when they did the Honda Civic tour with Group Love. Ooh, oh, okay. Group Love. Shout I out to Group I Love. Went, yeah, shout out to Group Love. I think I went to the one that Nikki went to at Woolies. I feel like that's that's when I saw them too. Yeah, you were standing there with us. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. Okay. There was a really tall girl in front of us. I remember that vividly. <laughs> Yeah, they, they love their transitions, and I love them for it. When they, uh, I believe it was KEXP they played on one time, they transitioned from uh, Dayman of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia fame into So American. That's awesome. What a combo. <laughs> That's so good. Wow. I would love, is that like on KEXP's YouTube or something? Like, could I look yeah, it's Yeah, it's on YouTube. I'm gonna watch this. I'm gonna watch that after this. They actually, <laughs> really unrelated to KEXP specifically, but Portugal the Man did a promo video for Evil Friends with the guys from It's Always Sunny. No way. I'll look that up too. This band just perfectly embodies your like all it's, of your interests. <laughs> yeah, I, I could also talk on a podcast about It's Always Sunny for like five straight hours as well i think i've seen seasons one through nine like a hundred times it's a really good show um all right are we ready to move on to the next one in the mountain and in the cloud i'll stop Let's the do it for a minute
All right, Nick, this was Nikki's pick. So Nikki, do you want to go into like everyone else kind of like into your background with Portugal Man as a band and then why you picked this album and kind of go through it how you want or? Yeah, yeah, I'll probably word vomit a little bit. Um, yeah, like Henry was saying, I, I'm a little bit nervous this time around as well. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> It feels like one of those bands where I'm like, everybody knows them better than I do. <laughs> no, that's, I think that's how everybody feels. But like, I totally. we put a lot of pressure on this episode. Like, this, <laughs> oh, we're doing an album comparison. And like, it sounds so much like more intense than our other episodes. But just got to remember, it's the same old round table. Everything's chill. Totally. No, no worries. <laughs> just say whatever you feel. Sounds good. Yeah, and I can kind of started off the same way Henry did talking about um, satanic Satanist as he talked about censored colors a little bit. Um, satanic Satanist is my probably my favorite album. That's where um, Portugal, Portugal the Man really clicked for me as well. Um, and then In the Mountain and the Cloud was, I guess it really just solidified that love for the band. Um, I had actually found Portugal the Man, I think, when I was still on MySpace. And so while I don't know them as well as Brady, I think I've known them longer. Um, Substantially. <laughs> but I still don't know them as well, unfortunately. But I found um, Waiter You Vultures on MySpace, downloaded it on LimeWare, I think at the time, because it was those times um, <laughs> before Pirate Bay. And um, yeah, yeah, now you get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, See, I never I never used that. So I didn't get the reference. I was like, what? Sailing yeah. the high seas. Pirate. Probably because you're buying I've heard of LimeWire. <laughs> you're supporting Arr. artists. That's good. <laughs> I'm so sorry, you guys. I was so lost. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I downloaded them on LimeWire. Or, or Pirate Bay, I don't remember. I got that album and I tried so freaking hard to like Waiter You Vultures because it was so different from ever, anything else I listened to. And I was in a phase of my life where I was like, I'm so different and I want to listen to music that is different and tell people that I listen to music that is different. Um, and I, I think I was looking for like emo music at the time um, and then fell into the kind of the post-hardcore realm but I I really struggled to like it and I only ended up liking a couple songs off of it but I still stuck with them and I was interested to see kind of where they went I think I picked up a couple songs off of Church Mouth um kind of in the same way um but Satanic Satanist for me I think was the first time that it clicked and I'd been listening to a little bit more like jazz and soul at the time, particularly Etta James. And that was kind of the style that I fell into and it kind of worked really well for Satanic Satanist. Um, Cause I think that album is a little bit more soulful than the rest of their discography. And then in the mountain and the cloud followed that up with a really clean record that I was excited to get my hands on. I was like, I already really like this band. I'm excited to see what they put out next. Um, I didn't know that this was when they signed on to Atlantic until actually a few days ago, but that totally makes sense now that 
in the mountain in the cloud is a much cleaner, um, heavily produced, well, maybe not heavily produced, but more produced album than their previous albums. Um, so it makes sense that that was their first major record label album. Um, and how did I hear about it? I was waiting for it. Um, so I didn't know that there was going to be a release date, but as soon as I saw it kind of circulating, um, I picked it right up. And I think I, um, I could tell you exactly like the night that I found it, just picking it up on YouTube, because that's how I was listening to it, at least listening to music at the time too. Um, they either had like a playlist of the album or the whole album just kind of like ticked off with each song. Um, but yeah, I just sat there for the duration of the album, just listening to it, doing nothing else. Um, was I a fan of this artist before this piece? I knew major albums, but I kind of fell off the bandwagon after Church Mouth. Um, and I was I was telling people to listen to them, but I don't know if I was really listening to them a lot myself um, at the time. But when In the Mountain and the Cloud came out, I was really telling people like, this is a great band, like you should check them out. And a few of my friends got more into them than I even did at the time, I think. And what did I think going into it this time? I was excited to learn more about the album. I think I've listened to it at face value for a long time. I didn't really know how political it was until this listen, I don't think. Um, but every song has some sort of charge to it that I'm kind of surprised I didn't realize earlier. Um, I think it's cool that there seems to be so much more direct political references in this album than in their previous albums where like Brady was saying, they're kind of shrouded in metaphor. Um, in this case, it seems more direct. Um, and I think that kind of falls into line with them having a record label, having a platform. They probably wanted to speak more directly what sort of views they were trying to communicate. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Do you yeah. remember, um, since Satanic Satanist was like the first album that like it really clicked for you, there that you like really liked this artist do you remember how you felt like when um about in the mountain in the clouds versus satanic satanist like was it super different was it like way different than you expected when it came out or was it kind of was there that connective tissue that um, <laughs> henry was talking about yeah I, I that's a great question i think it's kind of hard to describe like Satanic Satanist and Majestic Majesty were kind of around the time where I was listening to a lot of street recordings like Woodlog Tech um, and they were very much in line with that. And then I think in the mountain kind of evolved at the same time like I was growing up. So I was wanting more structure to my music um, at the time. So I, I think that in the mountain and the cloud really followed that. Um, connective tissue between the two, I guess I was kind of surprised to hear them have such a well-produced sound come out within the mountain. Um, I didn't really know what to expect with their next album because their previous albums had been so different from each other, but I don't know if I was expecting what they delivered within the mountain and the cloud either. What about, um, songs or lines or lyrics anything on in the mountain in the cloud that you particularly still like 
just that's something that you listen to every time or that sticks out to you when you listen to it? Yeah, I, I think it won't be a surprise. Um, it's got to be Sleep Forever. That's, yes. I think, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty, that, that's one of the best songs in their entire discography. And it's one that I go back to a lot. And I think it's funny that Brady kind of called and I the the end of Censored Colors. I think Sleep Forever is the the end, the Beatles of In the Mountain and the Cloud. Um, and it's, I actually forgot that in the musical, musical, music video for, for Sleep Forever, I forgot that Got It All is the back half of that music video too. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself, I guess, because that the music video for Sleep Forever really kind of solidified it in my mind. And if it's a song that as you're listening to this podcast, you're like, I haven't listened to that yet. Listen to the song before the music video. It's kind of like reading the book before watching the movie. Um, I think it's really, what's that? I just love that you mentioned that music video because it's kind of like a movie. Is is that the one you're talking about? I won't spoil it then just the way you're setting it up, but it's, I love that recommendation. It's a beast of a music video. Yeah, it's, so I'm it's fucking heart-wrenching um, so if you're in a good mood don't watch it maybe but if you're in a good mood maybe you're not listening to sleep forever to be fair <laughs> <laughs> um yeah because I guess with along with lyrics I'm really drawn to songs with sadder lyrics and I think the line as I finally meet my end, I won't be scared. I won't defend the things I've done. That one sticks out to me more than any of their other lyrics. I think it's it can be taken a few different ways. Um, I but, don't even yeah. think that that's a sad line. I think that's I think just like... That. Yeah, it, like, I just, it doesn't feel like, to me like, like a lot. What's that? Sorry. I don't, just like telling it like it is. Like, I, I think you're just... You, come to terms with your own mortality like I think that's actually kind of not happy but like the opposite of sad like almost uplifting or hopeful because if you come to terms with your own mortality then you're more able to like arguably enjoy your life I say the theme of sleep forever is peace Mm -hmm. serenity I think it's it can also be taken as sort of resignation, like just you're peaceful because you've given up, which yeah. is very a lot sadder to me to that take way. it that way. But yeah, though also the line, we may not grow money, but man, we grow old. Um I I think that's such a cool line too. There's also a few ways that you can interpret that and it may mean like you're somebody working your whole life just to get by, not making much, but you're still getting old. It could mean that you don't want to work your life away, not growing money and instead gaining experiences, still growing old. Um, I don't know. I think it's cool that there's a few ways that you can kind of take the song if it's giving up or if it's peace. Um Definitely. I think, yeah. 
That's really I was looking cool. for a way to wrap up that thought, but I don't really think I have a good one. <laughs> no, I that was that was fine, and they said that really nicely. Um, Sleep forever is their single best song. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Like it's S tier. It's so good. Yeah. Even live. And what? Even live. Yeah. It I just like believe. hits so right. Yeah, it, it it blows me away a little bit that I think I didn't see them perform it live until the third time I saw them. I don't know how they aren't playing that at every show. Maybe they don't know. Maybe they don't know <laughs> that that's everyone's favorite or like what people consider the best Portugal of Man song. Maybe or they, they do know up. and they don't get to get old for them. Like it's fresh yeah, every time they do it. They're rationing it out. <laughs> like they probably are sick of playing Feel It Still. <laughs> well, they earned that playing it twice per show for a while if they're tired of playing it. What's the beginning? What's the end? Yeah. Um, can you think of like how, how you would describe In the Mountain, In the Cloud to someone who has not heard it before? Yeah, I had a tough time kind of capturing this too. Um, I think I would describe it akin to a modernization of 60s psychedelia, which is something that we've kind of brought up before where, I, I don't know, maybe this would be kind of, if we're looking at like Beatles timeline, maybe this would be kind of like Abbey Road. Um, somebody more familiar with the Beatles than me can correct me. But I think it's kind of like, that phase for me um I wrote down I would kind of compare them to like T-Rex Mott the Hoople um maybe even they make me think it's not like they sound like this in the album but it makes me think of Ziggy Stardust by David Bowie um but yeah it's, it's got a lot of those themes that 60s psychedelia has where there's political charge under um either heavy metaphor or no metaphor at all and this album is more a modernization of that it's sad too that a lot of the political charge in the album is still stuff that we are talking about today this album came out in 2011 and they were talking about i can't remember what song it is but I think there's some sort of allusion to police brutality, which in 2011, I don't think that was heavily talked about. And at least we're talking about some of the stuff that they're bringing up in this album today, but it's still not fixed. That's kind of a derailment, I know, but yeah, it's... No, I think that's it's relevant. relevant. Yeah, absolutely, because they I think they're, um, they may be the only, one of the only bands that I know that like, heavily have like political references or like you know talked about stuff like that from their early albums to now yeah um maybe less so now but like yeah no it's like that's totally relevant absolutely um yeah, yeah I even think about like I think in the course of I think it's the course of got it all um how they say like got it all and then there's like another chorus like another person saying this can't be living now I feel like that's sort of a discord between people that are saying you know, I've got this 
beautiful life and how much else could I need? I'm content and everybody else should be just content with the way things are too, because I'm content. And there's that discord of that song of people wanting a better life for themselves, but not being able to get it because of people that are content. And it's interesting that that was a theme in 2011 that I didn't parse then, but I can put it in context now. Yeah. No, that's so good. Um, I feel like I read something related to, this is going back to the David Bowie reference. I think that they, they must have like, I don't know, they must be fans of David Bowie because a lot of people are, but like <laughs> they said something about picking their band name was based off of like the um, the seemingly like otherworldly superstardom of like David Bowie and like how how big he got. They wanted to like name the band something that was like bigger than just the band. So they named it after a country and then the man to like reference each individual in the band, something like that. I'm totally butchering it, but I feel like I read something that was like referencing David Bowie and like how they picked the band. <laughs> I don't know. But I believe you. Okay. <laughs> but I hadn't heard that. I remember thinking that it what I heard them talk about with respect to the band name was really weird and not very helpful to understanding where this bizarre ass name came from. There I think they said one time, it's like, yeah, you know, like the band is is a unit, you know, Portugal, he's a cool dude, he's the man. It's like, guys. <laughs> That's super unhelpful. That's super <laughs> unhelpful of them to, to, to say. What a guy that Portugal. <laughs> I love that. It's so funny. Yeah, I mean, I, it uh, makes you feel like the, the band name came out of like, one of them just like snorting a line off of a Wu-Tang record sleeve and just like sort of belching the words Portugal the man out and then everyone laughs and they're like hey, what if we named a band that <laughs> yeah I feel like maybe like the David Bowie thing I read was also BS it's just like they're just like saying shit now like oh yeah this is where it came from like yeah you know larger than life Portugal's a country so we didn't after something larger than I don't know <laughs> it just seems like something that they would do yeah they are certainly uh, documented fans of Bowie they have a cover of Moon Age Daydream out there somewhere oh cool I don't remember what it was in response to but one time one of them had said in an interview or something that nobody questioned the artistic intent of Bowie he just did his thing and people were like okay um, do you have anything else you wanted to mention about In the Mountain and the Cloud, Vicki? Did you cover all the points that you wanted to cover? Yeah, I, I think I covered it. Um, yeah, if, if you haven't, I guess, gotten in touch with their earlier discography, this could be a good place to start if you want to work your way back into kind of the more esoteric sounds if you want to kind of shock yourself at first, maybe censored colors or waiter vultures, but if you want to ease your way into their discography, this would be a good place to start. Other um, than that, stay in school. <laughs> Don't do drugs or do them. <laughs> but just not in school. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> In secret. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so the next one we had on the list was Evil Friends and then Woodstock. I feel like, is there anything we want to say about Evil Friends or anything in between just going on to Woodstock? Because I feel like it's it's a lot to just jump ahead to Woodstock because it's a lot, it's 2017 and it's a lot different. So does anyone have anything they want to say about Evil Friends or um, anything before Woodstock? Danger Mouse. Mic drop. Yeah, because like Danger Mouse, did he like help write this album? Is that what I know about it? Or produce so, it? He did produce it. Yeah. I think if memory serves, this is reaching back a little bit now, but I think how they talked about making the album Evil Friends was that working with Danger Mouse introduced the word no to their recording process where that's hilarious <laughs> he and his one. trademark approach to making music involved uh a level of control i think and forethought in the recording process than i think the band historically had that's interesting that is i did actually read a review of in the mountain in the cloud where somebody said they didn't like it because they didn't feel like nobody, they, they felt like nobody was there to tell the band no to an idea. <laughs> they felt like it was too densely packed in. So that's funny you say that. Yeah, I feel like that, um, that actually explains a lot with like the difference in sound, like introducing some sort of restraint into the recording process and not just putting everything in or like trying to combine as many things because I think there's a lot there's a lot more um I think control and like restraint is sort of a good way to put it for both Evil Friends and Woodstock um Evil Friends was the first like music that I heard from them heard of them um I didn't hear of them until college so it was like after that album came out um, cause I wasn't in college till 2015 and that came out in 2013, but I think I heard like plastic soldiers probably on KURE. Somebody probably played it waves, um, purple, yellow, red, probably blue. Probably me because I think I skewed KURE's listens toward Portugal the man for like two I, years. It might've like, been you. <laughs> yeah. I think it might've been you. Like, I don't know. I just definitely, I definitely didn't hear about them. Didn't know about them as a band until KURE until college. Um, and Evil Friends was like my first introduction to them. And I love Evil Friends. I think it's a great, like super solid album. Like, I think it's easy to digest. I think it's a very digestible, like um, accessible album for people to listen to, like just really good um, indie alternative rock music, like, you know, slightly psyched alternative rock. Um, some super big songs on there and then it's got some bops definitely has some bops i think it's like maybe i i haven't listened super in depth to like their entire discography but i think evil friends is the first time that they kind of went like more pop like a little bit more like you know dancey or like accessible music the first time it maybe reared its head for them was on evil friends 
Do you guys agree with that? Or do you think it, it came up earlier? I think it, I think it came up earlier, but like in a different flavor. Okay. Like this is much more dancey in like the St. Lucia or like hippocampus almost kind of way. Whereas that previous dance was like a whole different groove. Like Brady, you know what I'm talking about? Like never pleased or something like that. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I think, I think the first time that they sort of ran with a more traditional approach, like verse, chorus, verse, chorus structure would have been satanic Satanist and evil friends was them circling back and doing that harder this time. Um, with more uh, deliberate and intense uh, post-production, I think. Because, yeah, it's not, I don't know, it's not the first time they were ever poppy on Evil Friends, but, it, it yeah, I agree that it's a different flavor. Maybe, like, the first time you could pop a track in on the radio without much context for them. Yeah, I mean, certainly Evil Friends was the first time they had one of their songs featured in a Taco Bell commercial. <laughs> what was I that? I think what? it was Evil Friends. <laughs> Damn. Get that yeah. crunch wrap supreme. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Anything else we want to say about Evil Friends? Like any other favorite songs or notable moments from there? Just that I was going to say, actually, when I like look at the album and honestly, the last couple times I've listened to it, I don't know that there's a bad song on Evil Friends. Yeah, it's super good. It's, it's really tight. Like, it's, it's just such, such a, a good album. album. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say something pretty much to the same effect. Like, it is a sort of inflection point for the band, I think maybe largely because evil friends happened and then they dropped off the face of the earth essentially in terms of studio recordings for four years. And then once again, so we haven't, we don't have much post evil friends material to work with, but yeah, yeah like looking at the track list of evil friends, it is really dense with some great material. Like I think uh, evil friends itself title track is a great one. Uh, Modern Jesus is probably one of their best they've ever done. Purple, Modern yellow, red, and blue is. is a banger. Yeah, definitely. Atomic Man is just fun. Pretty straightforward, but I think it's just a fun song, which, you know, I love, like, essentially all of their music that they've done over their entire lifetime, but there are very few cases where I'd call it fun. Yeah. And it manages to do that while at the same time, like broaching uh, darker, more broody sounds a little bit. Like Smile has a really kind of oppressive sound for an album closer on uh, on an album that's kind of loaded with fairly radio-ready bangers. Nice. I think, yeah, that's, that's probably my favorite album of theirs. Um just just a super solid album um if you haven't listened to it definitely go give it a listen um Woodstock was the one that I kind of went over for this this was the one that came out when we were in college so I had a chance to like 
become a fan with evil friends and then I was excited for like um when the singles came out for this album I was like oh this is going to be good and it came out and like we went to that show and that was kind of like my peak like Portugal the man fan phase so that's why you know I went with this one um and then how I came across it Kaori, Brady, Nikki I don't know one of y'all probably <laughs> the radio um and then I think I was really ready to listen to it because of Evil Friends. I just thought like, oh, it's gonna, it's gonna have like some more like just bangers on it. And it did, it definitely did. Very radio friendly, radio ready songs, a lot more poppy than I think I was expecting. And like at the time it felt a lot different for them. But when it first came out, I don't think I like knew how big it was gonna be. Um, I'm not sure if any of us did like we went to that show and like it was like it was huge for them and it was definitely you could see that the popularity of it was a lot bigger than like some of their other stuff but I I had no idea like what feel it still and that album was going to do for them as as a whole um so I think hindsight is clearer you know looking back you can say like oh this was like their most poppy most radio friendly album because it got them like this super you know recognition um, that they hadn't had before but at the time I just thought like it was you know it was like another different sounding album for them like every album before it had been different um a little bit more poppy but um honestly I don't remember listening to the whole album like all the way through like I did for this like I think I just kind of listened song by song and then listened to like kind of shuffled their entire discography like before going to the show I wanted to get a good idea of like what their whole sound was. Um, I think this one had a lot more like, they had like industrial sounding sound effects and like pop electronic stuff, maybe even like a little auto tune like here and there. It was just, it was a lot less like strictly um, alternative rock, psych rock. But I think they strayed a, a lot away from their psych rock. Um, post-hardcore roots and went more, you know, alternative pop rock um, in terms of like sound, overall sound. And then also lyrically, that it was not as like steeped in metaphor as Brady said before, like their other stuff. This one was a lot more um, poppy in terms of lyrics as well, like live in the moment and so young, sort of have that classic pop theme of like, we, young forever and like all that matters is now and it's all about feeling good now in the moment um so i think that kind of was what stood out to me the most about this album but that's kind of the end of the the albums so is there anything else we want to say like going back does anyone first of all does anyone have anything else they want to say about woodstock or add anything to what i said because i didn't have a whole lot I think it's kind of fair to not have a whole lot to say, really. Um, yeah, I think in comparison to most or really even all of their past work, I think there's just a lot less to unpack. Um, yeah. To me, it always felt a lot more like a collection of singles than an album, which stings a bit coming from a band that has a, such a long history of making completely sonically distinct albums that 
sound self-consistent while still feeling like the same band. Yeah, that honestly makes me feel better because I was I was a little afraid coming into this because I have like slightly negatively toned comments. And I know that like y'all are big fans of this band and like I am too. Like I love I love Evil Friends. I love their music, but I don't know. I think Woodstock in particular is, is a little bit like lacking in in comparison. Yeah, I remember you're definitely not being a negative Nancy here. I think I feel the same way. Um, it came out, I think, around the same time that Humans by Gorillaz did. And I I love a few of the tracks on Humans, but it just didn't hit the same way as their past albums. And I remember like around this time feeling like, like, you know, when you meet your heroes and it's not as great as you expected it to be, that's kind of how I was feeling about music at the time. And these two albums, I guess, being released around the same time made me feel disappointed. Agreed. <laughs> I just want to say, I was just, before we started recording, saying we should do this album thing again. Like, what's a man we could do? Gorillas. That would be a really good one. That would be yeah. so good. Good idea. Yeah. You gotta do that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, that's all I that's all I got excited about. Yeah, to the point of Woodstock, I think like, you know, listening to it cover to cover, I don't think I don't think anything on that album is bad. But it's not as exciting. It feels simpler, shallower. No, yeah. That's a that's definitely a distinction I want to make is like I, I do like this album. It's got bangers on it, really super dancey tunes. Like it's a it's a great album. Kind of how I feel like about this, the way that I feel about the new Hippocampus album, where like it's not bad, it's just overly simplified. And it's kind of it feels like it's playing to the masses, which is not a bad thing. It's just very different from like what we're used to with that band in terms of for, for Hippocampus and for Portugal, the man, I think it's the same kind of situation. Um, but yeah. Anything else we want to say overall about Portugal, the man, any of their other albums, this would be the time. I might like just, I should, but no, sorry, Henry, go ahead. Oh, nope. Go for it. I was just saying, I, I didn't think I had any more commentary, but I felt like I should. So go ahead. Yeah. Um, that's fine. I was going to say, it feels like I should have a bigger thought here, but ultimately if you, the listener have made it this far and you're interested in Portugal, the man, any of the albums we've talked about, I think would be good, but we are all trying to steer you away from Woodstock. So let that tell you something. Uh -huh. that yeah. That's a fair assessment. Love I think it. that's the only place you can, you can probably go wrong. Yeah. If your if your introduction to Portugal the Man was Woodstock, you might not like the rest of their music because it's just it's not the same caliber. So they're the type of band, though. I mean, I think the reason that we can have a conversation like this is that if you put these guys on and something you hear doesn't quite do it for you, you could roll the dice on another album entirely and still end up falling in love with them. Yeah, absolutely. We put it really well earlier that 
you might be pleasantly surprised to find yourself enjoying their, you put it so much better than this, Henry, but you might be pleasantly surprised to find that you enjoy their earlier work if you give it a chance. Yeah, Brady certainly did. Like that's total evidence that it's worth going back and listening to. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you everybody for participating in this little like experimental um, new formatting. I hope that you enjoyed it. Um, send me any feedback, criticism, constructive criticism you want over, you know, text or email. And I will, I will, you know, that'll help me format the next one. So always appreciate feedback. Um, and then we hope to see you guys soon. If you're listening, tune in next time. We're going to, I think on the next episode, we'll be discussing the new Likey Lee album. Licky Lee, Likey Lee. So like Licky. Like, <laughs> that. Um, all right. Well, thank you guys so much. And I'll like talk to you next time. Thanks for having Bye. us. Bye. February.